Hello and welcome to the Sierra Bible Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Nathan Levering. you a question. Uh, maybe you've had kids or you have kids now and they brought home, or maybe you can remember doing this when you were a kid, brought home like a work of art that they were proud of, right? And they brought it home and they're showing it to you and you're like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to, I'm just going to go all in and say that is an amazing piece of artwork, right? And, and you know, how do we sort of decipher what our kids were up to? And maybe they're just kind of paint all over the place. And as we spend a moment or two this morning uh, before our kids get here, sort of taking our next step in what we've been walking through throughout this Advent and Christmas season, we find ourselves in a particular place in a letter that a person named Paul wrote to churches in Rome, but by extension to each and every one of us. And Paul kind of does that in some ways. We find ourselves at that section where he spent about 30 verses and in somewhat pretty some dense kind of context he builds. And as what he begins to do in those 30 verses is tell this magnificent story of what God has done in the Jesus of Christmas. What God has done, what he's doing currently. And then he, here's what God's planning to do in and through you. And then he sort of stands back from that picture and says, what should we see? How do we see it well? Some of you have done these little pictures that, you know, uh, and there's one in your bulletin. If you, the next few minutes gets distracting for you, you could just, you know, and you, you put your face up real close and you kind of focus your eyes and then you pull back and what do you see? You know, you see this image that with sometimes some amazing kind of uh, detail is actually in there and you wouldn't see it unless somebody said, here's a particular way to look at it. I need your help really quickly. What number is this? Six. It actually looks like a nine to me, right? So you said it's a what? A six, but it looks kind of like a nine And what Paul invites us into in this text is to sort of remind us that we live lives in a world in which we're in some ways arguing over how we see the world we live in. And we're sort of asking this question, well, who gets to break the tie? Is it a six or like what is actually happening? And, and really kind of two words come out of this little section in this question that Paul's going to invite us into. And, and he says this, it's really all about our perspective and our perception. It's in what we see and then it's in how we actually perceive what we see by way of the story of God. In many ways, that sort of changes everything. Paul's going to ask us four questions in this section. We'll look at three and we're going to save the last and the awesome one, if you will, for Christmas Eve. And this is kind of the story of the Bible in so many ways. God inviting people like you and I to have our eyes and our minds and our hearts tuned to what he is doing in the story of human history. He says, hey, here's some ways to see some things. Here's some ways to interpret 
the story you're being asked. This happens, right, all the time in our lives. Happened in some radical ways in, uh, in the time most centrally when Jesus walked the face of the earth. One of those times we, we have recorded throughout the Gospels. And uh, what happens is it's just kind of a casual night, it seems. And the disciples and Jesus uh, get on a boat and they head off across the Sea of Galilee. Some of you know this story. And in Mark chapter 4, we're told that this giant squall comes up, right? This massive storm, wind out of nowhere. And in some ways it sort of becomes for us this picture of, of our lives, right? We, we probably, all of us can look back on our lives and think there's, well, at least some point in our life where storm just kind of came up out of nowhere. Like the phone call came that we thought we maybe never would get. You know, even this last week, a conversation with Kathy, when I got home from work started like this. Oh, by the way, the principal called. And you think, okay, what's next? And in the midst of this storm, the disciples are doing what we do. I think at least most of us, they're bailing water. How do we get out of this? We're going to die. We're going to drown. Eventually, they remember Jesus is, is in the boat. And so what do they do? They run over and they wake Jesus up. And they're like, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die here. And Jesus gets up. And he looks, we're told, at the wind. He looks at the waves. He actually rebukes them. With a couple of words, he says, be still. And then what's recorded next is sort of this incredible gift. It's really, in some ways, what Joe prayed, that we'd experience this peace. And what the authors say happened was a great calm. And, and what they mean, that the Greek word there is actually megos. It's a megos calm. It's a peace that was felt further than the waves and the water, it was felt in the hearts and the minds of each person on that boat. And as Jesus said those words, you can believe that their stories were reframed. The next time they went through a storm, the next time they found themselves in that place, oh yeah, Jesus taught us to look at these storms differently because he is present. And so Paul does this. He invites us into uh, this particular language. And, and if you have your Bibles, we're in a few short verses in Romans chapter 8. Uh, and the first of those, Paul says this. He says, what then, as he looks back on this incredible story that he's drawn up, what then shall we think, or how shall we think, or how should we look accurately at these things? And so he lays out the story of God. If we were to look back on those 30 verses, if you didn't happen to sort of track along with us throughout this Advent series, and if you're interested and you're like, man, I would love to walk back through those, we'd love for you to go to our YouTube channel or the Spotify account, and you can hear these sermons over the last couple weeks. But here's what he says. He says, for those of us who have experienced these things, how should or how will our lives be transformed? And so he outlines these things in Romans chapter 8. The first of which is this, that God came in the Jesus of Christmas as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. This is what Christmas is all about. Then he says, you know, when we can receive a full forgiveness when we put our trust in him, this is what and who the we are. When Paul says, what, how shall we, those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ as the payment for their sin, how should we 
view these things. And then Paul goes on in verses that we've looked at, and he says, you know, once sin moves out, the Spirit of God actually moves into these crazy bodies. He begins to speak to us and walk with us and change us, and there's some specific ways he does that. The first one that he hits on is this idea that that he actually transforms the relationship that you and I can have with our God. And he says that as you walk out this relationship, there may even be moments, oftentimes we find it's in the storms where you find yourself relating to God, the creator of the entire universe, as your, as your, as your dad, as your father. You, this is what God does when he moves in. And then he goes on and he says he doesn't just restore this relationship that you were meant to have all along. But he actually begins to transform us from the inside out. He, he changes us in the language he uses to look like his son. That we would sort of bear the image of Jesus in the world. We would love like him. We would think like him. Then he sort of goes on. It isn't just that God has come for us to work in us. But he actually desires to work through us. And as we looked at last week, he works with us. God does. From the inside out, as we step into the world with love and with intention. We talked last week that God has a vocation, a purpose for our lives. And we step into that because the Spirit of God nudges us and pushes us. And our relationship with God frees us to follow Him. And so Paul invites us, what then? If that's the story, if that's what God's doing in the lives of real human beings like you and like me, How then? And so he's going to ask us four kind of rhetorical questions for the we, for the people who put their faith in Jesus Christ and are trusting him. He says, hey, there's some things that are just true. So see them and live into them. Now, Paul asked us these questions and he says, you know, you should know the answer to these questions. And so it kind of caused me to think a little bit about rhetorical questions and specifically the ones that we ask our children. Right? You ever think to yourself, how many questions do I ask my kids? And I'm just expecting them not to answer, but to know the answer and to sort of live in that way. And so I Googled, what are some of the most fun and funny and repeated rhetorical questions that moms ask their kids? And so here's a couple of the ones that I like the most. One goes like this. Do I look like your maid? Mom, you're not asking for an answer, right? You're just asking for your kid to actually clean up after themselves. I love this one. Do we cut our own hair? Answer is no. Do we, here's another one. Do we put toys in the toilet? Like, is that the spot where they go? And then maybe my personal favorite of the list that came up. Do we throw cats? To which different ones of us would say, well, yes, we do throw cats in our home. That's how we roll. Or you may think about your spouse coming in, especially this time of year, right? And she looks at you and and she's got her new outfit on and she says, do you like my new outfit? And the answer, of course, is yes. Or you might say, no, I actually love your new outfit, right? And so the answer is kind of wrapped in the question. And so Paul's going to walk us through how... We can think well about living in the story of God as his people. And he's really going to ask us three sort of sets of questions. The first one is sort of a battle cry, and you'll hear it. Some of you have maybe used it before. Maybe it's even been used on you. Battle cry. Good. That was like on cue. 
Maybe it's even been used on you as a sort of a band-aid. And you've thought, is this how Christians think? And I just want to encourage you, these things Paul's inviting us into are not band-aids to put over our pain or the hurt, the real stuff of life, but rather they're anchor points. And Paul invites us to be the kind of people that have our lives anchored in chaos, to be the kind of people who, who have answers for the very real questions that are in your heart and in mine. And then lastly, he'll take us to this place of a courtroom. He says, because we've got to have our mind shifted. Because what Jesus did on the cross, if you trust that, it shifts your mind. And it causes you to think and act very differently. The first uh, question he asks us is this. You maybe have heard it before. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He goes on then in verses 32, and I'm just going to sort of read it right out of um, the text this morning as we kind of walk through these. I want you to hear them first uh, from here. He says, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we, how will he, excuse me, God, not also, along with Jesus, whom he's given, graciously give us all Things. And then lastly, he invites us into the courtroom and he asks this question, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns, Paul asks? No one. So let's look at each three of these in, um, in succession. So the first one, as we had on the screen here a second ago, if God is for us, who could be against us? What's Paul's answer for the we? The answer is no one that matters. The answer is no one that, when, when there's a storm, when it comes up out of nowhere, and, and you begin to wonder in your heart at heart, am I, like, is this the end? Should I just give up? Or are, are there, no, and Paul says, there's no one that matters. Why? Because God is for you in Paul's particular story. And, and I'd love to kind of walk you through that if we had time, but all kinds of chaos breaks loose. All kinds of times, just like in your story, where he's thought, maybe we should give up. Maybe God could use someone else. Maybe this is where we get off. And Paul leans in, in the midst of the storm, and he says this. He says, you know what? If God is for you, there's no one that matters that might stand up against you. Second sort of question Paul invites us to consider is in verse 32, and he sort of brings us into this almost like commerce exchange. He says this, he who, he who did not spare his own son, think about it. He gave his own son up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What's Paul saying? He says, God is so generously committed to you. I mean, he gave you his own son. You know, th this question in so many ways, I think, gets to the, the sort of questions, if we're honest, that are on our own heart. You know, if God had just given me a little bit more money, if God had just made me a little smarter, you know, if I were just a little younger, then I, of course, then the young are like, man, when I get older, you know, if I could just stretch time out to 26 hours a day, man, then I could serve. And what Paul's inviting our hearts to consider 
is that God has given us everything to do the one thing he's asking any of us to do. And that's to be faithful. To be faithful. The hard part in our culture, especially with all versions of comparison on any screen that you and I might carry around, is pretty soon we start thinking, I'm supposed to be faithful to what God's asked you to be faithful, to the life he's asked you to live. And Paul says, God's given us everything. Simply be faithful. I don't know, I don't know about you, but like this one especially gets me. I'm the kind of person that can stress out pretty quickly. And I can bring that stuff home. I can bring it to the office. And it's kind of one of those stress days. I don't know if you ever have those. You're just like, why am I stressed out about this? And then sort of walking back into this truth and saying, you know, God, I, I need to step back into the story and into the reality that you've given me everything to step into this day full of joy and completely at peace. You're so wildly committed to me that you didn't spare your own son. So what am I doing that is outside of stepping into the one thing he's asked any of us to do? And that's be faithful. And then lastly, he sort of walks us into the courtroom we see in verse 33. And he asks these questions, which are really all wrapped up in one. He says this, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is, he reminds us, God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. And this is really about our minds in so many ways. And Paul invites us to consider the reality that you and I will one day, and we do in small ways now, but we will show up in the courtroom of God. And in that courtroom, what will be revealed before all in, uh, that are there is like everything, right? It's the good stuff. It's the bad stuff. It's the stuff we're hiding and we think we pushed away. All of it. And what Paul here reminds us of is this. There will be one voice for the we that have trusted Christ. And when he stands on our behalf and says, I get to speak and I died for her and I died for him I have set them free and then I think what Paul wants to invite us into is to live as people who live in a story in which we understand that God's in the boat that God has our back that God's not holding anything back, and that God has said in Jesus what he did on the cross, you are free. Step into that, live into that, be my people. Thanks so much for joining us, church. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you'd like to hear more messages like this, or if you'd like to partner with us financially, please visit sierrabible.com.